Now, last week, we talked about uh, Esther becoming queen. Remember, we talked about her family. We talked about her figure. Remember, she was very beautiful. We talked about Esther's favor, and we talked about the feast that was given in her honor. Um, and by the way, if you're new to our book overview studies, I have some outlines here on the table, and that's an overview of the book. Take that with you. Uh, I do want to mention something I, I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, uh, somebody asked me about it. I said, I told you that uh, Xerxes, the king, uh, reigned for seven years. That's not true. He, he reigned for 21 years. Uh, 20, 21, it depends on who you talk to. Some say 18, some 20, 20, 21, somewhere like that. 486 to 456 or 55, depending, you know, this, that's some guess. But just so I can be faithful to uh, speak uh, accurately, uh, I want to amend what I told you of seven-year rule. He ruled for 21 years. But we talked about these things, and I told you last week what I wanted to move to is I want to talk to you about, because Esther was favored. We kept seeing that word, right? You kept seeing that God favored her, God favored her, God favored her. I told you, I think last week, I recently in our staff retreat, I took our staff through a book entitled Finding the Favor of God. And we can put ourselves in position to find the favor of God, can't we? But did you know that I, I, I firmly believe God wants you to live in His favor? Would you agree with that statement? God wants you to live in His favor, doesn't He? I mean, you're His child. I had a counseling case this week, and um, and which I, I, I won't go into detail about that, but I told a, a lady, a member of our congregation, who's going through a difficult time right now, I said, I always remember this. And boy, she's grown so close to the Lord. We were talking about that. And she said, I'd go through this again just because of what it's done to my relationship with the Lord. And she said, His presence, she said, when I talk to Him now, I really feel like I'm talking to God. I said, that's because he's tuned you in. And I said, remember this, God is for you. God is for you. I know that's a simple statement, but remember the next time you're, you're feeling kind of like, God, are you aware? Remember, God is for you. How many of you are parents? Just about everybody in here. Let me ask you something. Are you for your kids? Are you for your kids? You are, aren't you? I mean, even if they, you know, test you. You're still for them, aren't you? You want the, you want the very best for them, right? And you know what you do? In spite of them, sometimes you have favored them, haven't you? Haven't you? You favored them when they didn't deserve to be favored. Right? And you and I are imperfect parents. Now, I'm a perfect grandparent. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're imperfect, aren't we, at how we do all this. I had two, these two, let me tell you this real quick. I had these two little girls sitting in my office, and they were so sweet. One of them's 10 years old, and one of them informed me she's about to turn five. And her mom said, well, not really. And she said, but I am. And she said, okay, well, in August you're going to turn five. But she's about to turn five, she told me. And they asked me, the mom and dad said something about my grandkids. And, and so the little 10-year-old girl says, well, does he have a playroom? At my grandmother and grandfather's, my Mimi and, and Papa, I have a playroom. 
And I said, as a matter of fact, sweetheart, he does have a playroom. And we've converted our sunroom into uh, toy land. And, um, and, and the little girl asked me this. She said, well, what toys are in that room? And I said, whatever toys he wants. I said, all he has to say is, this is what I want. And we'll go get that toy for him. Well, that's how grandparents, that's, that's the way you get to do it as grandparents, isn't it? That's the way you get to do it. Let mom and dad straighten out the problems on the backside. Right? I mean, you get to be the perfect grandparent, you know, because you can just say, yes, 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 yes. Get that boy another one of these. That's what you say. That's so fun. Listen, now, you understand where I'm going with that? Who's the perfect father? God Almighty. So he's for you, isn't he? And so he says, if you will seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I will be found by you. He says that in Jeremiah. He wants to be found. He wants to be sought. And why does he want to be sought? Because he loves you and he wants that kind of relationship. And then he wants to bestow his favor on you. That's pretty good. Why is it so hard for us to get that? It is, isn't it? It's a little hard for us to get that. But, but we can put ourselves in position, uh, as I talk to our staff in this book, to, to, um, to be in a more favorable position of favor. It's the best way to say it. So let me show you three things that we finish up from last week as it related to Esther that uh, about favor how the favor of God affects ser several things and we saw it in this second chapter in verse 8 look with me if you will I'll show you the first thing so when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in the custody of Haggai Esther was taken into the king's palace now if you'll notice up here on my sheet I used um, I used the word taken you say, what in the world do you mean by that? Okay, here's, here's what I mean. Uh, the favor of God affects our place. She was taken, her position, where she was, call it whatever you want, her place was not such that God couldn't find her. You know, a lot of times a person will think that, well, you know, I'm so far out in Timbuktu, God could never find me. God can find you wherever you are. Uh, somebody else may not be able to find you, but you cannot go into hiding from God. Now, she wasn't trying to. But what I want you to get is the favor of God affects your place. You're, you're, God can reach down and favor you wherever you are, and I would add at whatever place or, or uh, state you are in in life. He can reach out and say, I know, I, know, I know what you're going through. I know that you're seeking me. I know that you're following me. And God can find you even when you think you're unfindable. Or, I should add, when you feel like you are unfindable. God must not know I'm around. I bet you've had some times like that in your life, haven't you? Before where you thought, I don't think God 
I don't think God knows where I am. I don't think God knows what's going on in my life. But Esther reminds us that God knows exactly what's going on, and He, uh, and he knows where you are. The place where you are uh, is never hidden from Him. The second thing uh, about the favor of God is that it uh, affects our platform. It affects our platform. Notice it says in verse 17, through a lot of stuff we talked about last week, that the royal crown was placed upon her head. That's her platform. Uh, she was made royalty. And um, uh, God can take you from an, obsc listen, an obscure orphaned girl living with her cousin or uncle and God can find that person. He can find you and He can take you and put you on a platform that you could have never imagined. Again, one of the greatest examples of that of all time is Billy Graham. Uh, he, he was a farm boy. His dad was a dairy farmer. He was a farm boy. In fact, in the very field that his dad owned, his dad and some other uh, members of a local Presbyterian church had a prayer meeting one day in which they asked God to raise somebody up that would, would uh, reach the world for Christ. They didn't know that he was right there in the barn and uh, God would raise him up. God can find you and then God has a platform for you. Now, not everybody has the same platform, but do you realize that you have a platform? By the way, my sermon Sunday morning is going to be a continuation of the series we're in, but I'm, the, the topic, the title is, You're an Original. You're an original. That's all I'm going to tell you. You have to come Sunday. But, uh, but God has a platform to you. Have you ever thought that God has a platform for you? And you always think, we, when we use that idea of platform or God's going to use a person, we always think it means, oh, it must be some a great expression of God's work or something like that. Do you know most of the work of the kingdom is not being done by the people that are elevated and very focal? Do you know that? But they have God-given platforms. And so do you. I mean, if you know, you've got a platform. What is it? Your platform may be to be a great, a great father to children. Your platform may be to, to uh, have an impact on people you work with. Your platform uh, may be uh, to rock babies in a church nursery. Your platform, do you understand where I'm going? Fill in the blank. What is the platform God has given you to make a difference? Robert Murray McShane, the great saintly missionary to the uh, American Indians, I had this line. He said, who knows, but if we could just pull back the veil, you know, the cover. He said, suppose we could just pull back the veil of the earth, the cover of the earth. We might find that the work of God, the greatest work of God is being done by saints on their knees praying that nobody knows who they are. It's true. Because God does far more of His work through believers who are pursuing Him and living out his, his, the platform He's given to them. I believe that far more than even the guys like me that stand up and preach to people. 
And so uh, Francis Schaeffer had this statement. He said he preached a sermon entitled, No Little People and No Little Places. Because with God there aren't, as I'll talk about uh, a, a bit uh, this coming Sunday. So the platform, he, he, the royal crown, he took her from obscurity all the way to the queen. Pretty significant platform, right? Can y'all think of anybody else that happened to in the Bible? David, shepherd boy. Remember his dad, Jesse? He said, I got these three sons, and they're pretty sharp. I'll bring the first one, the sharpest one here. Not him, the next one, the next one. You remember what Samuel asked him? You, is it, you got any more? And basically his dad said, well, yeah, I got this kid. He's out in the field. He's, he's watching the sheep, and, you know, that's it. But he would never be the kind you'd want for a king. That's what, and, and Samuel said, bring him to me. And that's where the statement is made, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. Isn't that cool? Can you think of any others? Joseph. Who? Joseph. Joseph. Hang on. Hang on to Moses. Joseph. There are a lot of these stories in the Bible, aren't there? Joseph, remember, he, he started out in the pit and ended up in the palace. By way of the prison. But God, and, God was, and God used him to feed his family, to save his family, to save a whole nation from hunger. Uh, Israel, by the way, you know, he saved it. We say Egypt. He, sa he saved Egypt. He saved Israel too. So you got a guy from obscurity that God moves all the way up. Uh, now, Moses, who said Moses? Moses. Um, you know, I got a little, <laughs> I got a little plaque in my office my wife gave to me and in my back, actually in my prayer closet back, workroom prayer closet area and I, where I have my little, and it's got, she gave me this little plaque. It says, remember, Moses was a basket case also. Uh, and that's how he started out, right? And yet. You can't, that when God has the platform and you're, you will follow God, He will get you to the right place, won't He? He can find you wherever you are and He can get you to the right place at the right time. Took Moses, took Moses a little while, didn't it? Took him 80 years. By the way, I've always thought that's pretty cool encouragement as we get older, isn't it? If God could still use Moses at 80, we all still have a chance, don't we? Uh, and so, um, the platform, God has a platform for you. Don't underestimate how God wants to use you in the lives of people. And then the third thing, have y'all figured the last P out? Purpose. Now, don't confuse this with the platform. The platform actually is where your purpose is revealed right see she became queen but it would it would be a while before she would recognize what her purpose was god made her the queen so she could live out the purpose he gave her the platform so he could carry out the purpose does that make sense so he found her i mean euphemistically speaking 
And then he made her the queen. Now, at the time he made her the queen, did she, did she know what was going on? Nope. She didn't, she didn't go, ah, I know why I'm queen. But God made her the queen. We say, well, didn't Xerxes make her the queen? Xerxes made her the queen because God had already decided she was going to be the queen because God had a purpose for her. God doesn't do any, God doesn't fly by the seat of his britches. There's nothing arbitrary with God. Sometimes it feels arbitrary in your life, doesn't it? But it's not. God is working all things according to the counsel of his will and his plan for our life if you and I are obeying him in the light that we have. We obey him, we obey him, we obey him. And God is orchestrating. By the way, God will orchestrate things into your life that need to help you see what he's trying to, to get. If you're not headed in the right direction, God will bring stuff to try to move you to the right direction. So her purpose, as what was her purpose, class? We'll, we'll study it later on. What was her purpose? She, was, she would be God's instrument to save the nation of Israel. She would, she would be the instrument God uses to save the nation of Israel. And so the place, God, God pulled her from the place she was in. The platform, he made her the queen. He put the crown on her. And her purpose for wearing the crown was to be able to speak to the king and protect the people of God. And there are benefits from that that we'll look at down the road. Okay, with that in mind, we've got about 10 minutes here. And so let's move to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is what we call the plot there's actually a couple of plots. We don't have time to look at them all, so I'm not. But verses 19 through 23 uh, of chapter 2 uh, are a plot as well. And in that particular plot, there were a couple of palace workers. And for some reason, they were mad at the king. And they conspired to kill the king. Now, chapter 3 is about another plot, but... Just so you know, these two palace workers decided we're going to take the king out. They got mad, whatever it was, and it just so happened they, they were having their conversations that Mordecai would sit by the, the gateway into the palace. And he was sitting there on a particular day, and he overheard these two palace workers talking about how much they hated their boss, the king and that they were going to take him out. And Mordecai heard this. And so Mordecai tells Esther, you need to somehow get a message to the king that there's a plot, a conspiracy to assassinate him. And so she gets that message to him, unrelated to the other thing. This is just this. And, and by the way, confers it via Mordecai. Make sure that the king knows that that Mordecai is the source of the information. And so it, it, uh, it prevents this um, 
conspiracy from fulfilling its goals. They took the two guys and they hanged them. And uh, so that's plot number one we see in the book. It's just a minor thing, but what it's really doing is it's telling you, it's, it's positioning Mordecai, all right? As you'll see later on, because not only is Esther uh, honored as the queen, Mordecai will be honored, and he too will be elevated to a place of great authority in Xerxes' kingdom. Uh, and so this has given us a glimpse again, a little bit of Mordecai. All right, with that in mind, look at ver uh, chapter 3. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman. Now, we don't know where Haman came from. He came out of the, uh, the palace leadership. But look at this. The Agite, the son of uh, Hamadatha, and advanced him. And here's the operative phrase, and set his throne above the officials who were with him. The first thing that I want us to see is Haman's elevation. Because this is a factor in what happens next. So notice that the, the king took him. Uh, he, look, uh, this guy was a, a smoozer. Uh, he's much worse than that, but he was a smoozer. He had... He probably said to the king everything the king wanted to hear. Oh, you're the best. You're the greatest. Uh, you know, anything and everything. He could get favor uh, with the king. Not favor with God. Big difference. Favor with the king. And so the king believed uh, all the things that he said. I tell you what, I, I'm going to put you in charge. I'm going to take you above the rest of the leadership. And I'm going to make you my right-hand man. And so that's what, what happens. He elevates Haman to this new position. Let's look on chapter 3, verse 2. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. So here's the second thing. The elevation of Haman was based uh, on the king's uh, mandate, but it created this, this incredible arrogance, so much so that the king, you can be certain, in line with Haman's desires, the king said, we're going to have everybody bow down to you. If you walk by, everybody has to bow down to Haman. And so uh, we're talking about his adulation. And so everybody was required. If Haman came by, you had to bow down to, to Haman. And you had to acknowledge that he had a superior place in the kingdom. And he loved it. He loved it. Now, we'll, I'll tell you why in just, just a moment or two. But so there was this, this adulation for, for Haman because of his uh, great position. But isn't it interesting that the end of that says, But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Now, let me insert something here for you. To consider when we when we read this book, the book of Esther. We always think of Esther. I mean, it is named after her, right? We always, but I want to suggest to you something. While we talk about him, do you know? Perhaps as important, if not even more important, in this book is Mordecai. Because we see a man of great conviction, spiritual conviction. Now, why do you think he wouldn't bow down to Haman? 
Have any idea? Why, why wouldn't you bow down to Haman? He was an orthodox follower of God. And so, he was just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and just like Daniel, and that is, I will, I will live and operate in the realms of the kingdom uh, until that kingdom tells me that I have to bow down and worship another god. Um, and so he refused to bow down to any other god. I know it is hard for us to comprehend, but dear brothers and sisters, if something doesn't happen, we are headed to a day in this nation where bowing to God alone will get you in trouble. More, and, and there will come a day in most of our lifetime, I'm afraid, where you're going to have to take a stand. I, uh, you remember when Moses came down and the people had been worshiping the idols and uh, y- you know the wrath of God fell upon them? But before it did, Moses said, Who is on the Lord's side? And some of them separated, which was a wise move, and the rest of them, y'all remember what happened to the rest of them? They got swallowed up in the earth. Um, the fact is, almost every era of history has had those moments where God's people had to say, I won't bow to any other idol. I will only bow to the Lord God Almighty. And don't be surprised if it comes in your lifetime in a nation where we never thought it would. We are heading there. A uh, Canadian pastor. Did y'all see the Canadian pastor that was arrested? Uh, and they charged him with hate speech because he preached the Bible. And I, in, in an interview, in a news interview, he said, made this stunning statement. He looked at the camera and said, America, wake up. It's coming to you next. It may already be here. Hello, in some sense. Well, Mordecai, this book is a lot about Mordecai, too. Don't miss who Mordecai was. And we'll stop with this. But what do we see here about Mordecai? By not bowing down, we see Mordecai's Mordecai's uh, provocation. He provoked Haman. Because Haman was so full of himself, he had such an ego, and you know, uh, when you've got that kind of ego, and you're walking by the people, and they're all bowing down to you, and, and bowing down, and there's this one guy who's standing there like this, and he, you know their eyes made contact, hello? And, and Mordecai didn't, I don't know. Somebody might have said, hey, bow down. Not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And next week, we'll look at the next three of these as we continue to move through this book. So, Mordecai provoked him. Y'all know the story, don't you? He provoked him, and what happens next um, gets nasty. 
is, is what it amounts to. So we'll look at that uh, in more detail next week. All right. Um, any questions or comments about anything we've talked about tonight?